Hi, everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Sofa. Busy Living Sofa. We are on episode 187 with Dennis Barry. Hey, Dennis, what's going on today? Hi, Busy Living Sober. Uh, I'm awesome. How are you? I'm actually doing pretty well, given the fact that we're living in this crazy world that we're living in. And I'm in Florida, where, you know, the numbers are going up like crazy. That's right. They are. Is it because everybody's doing piggyback rides on the beach? I, I, I see them out there. Nobody wears a mask. They're all out there having fun like it's 1999. <laughs> well, when it started, I have a friend in Palm Beach, and he said he we did a podcast episode, and he turned his computer around to show me. He's on the beach in Palm Beach. And he turned his computer around to show me and the whole beach was empty because they closed all the beaches. Yeah, now and they're open. Yeah. Now they're open again and the numbers are going up. So tell us, so you host a podcast. You're a, a coach of many, uh, you wear many hats. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Well, yeah. So I do a life coach for addiction recovery and alcoholism and life mastery because after you get clean and sober, you have to master your life and it takes certain skills to do that. And I wrote a book, best-selling book called Funky Wisdom, A Practical Guide to Life. You can buy that on Amazon. And what else? Oh, my website, dennisberry.com. Fabulous. Okay, so tell us about your journey. So you, I know you got sober a while ago. Yeah, so I am an old ski guy, an old ski racer party guy. And I lived up in the Northeast for a long time, up in Vermont. And for my 20s from 1990 to, um, to about 2000 and I lived that lifestyle I was the ski I started out as kind of a ski racer then a ski bum and then just a bum like a crazy <laughs> drunken party bum and um, I did all that lifestyle I became a chef so I was like you know skiing every day working in the kitchen at night and then partying every night and you know that whole lifestyle that came with that and uh it was fun for a few years but in retrospect i say when i'm talking to people is that i it should have been like a one to two year thing and it turned into a 10-year thing and i really you know yeah i wasted a lot of years but at the same time it built me to who i am today and um which i wouldn't change because i have a great life today and uh through that process, I was in over 20 drunken car accidents. Uh, it's the same story you hear all the time. I won't get into the, all the dumb details that people are tired of hearing about, but you know, I drove my car into a house and at age like 20 or 21, and for a normal person would have been like, you know, I, I probably shouldn't have drove my car into that house. Maybe I should stop drinking, but I decided to drink for another 10 years after that. So I am the real deal. I'm qualified to be sober and uh, I should definitely not be participating in the drug and alcohol scene. And so what happened was at the end, it was 2003 or 2002, in, uh, November 15, 2002, I got in my worst car accident, which was coming down. I'm, I live in Colorado now and I was coming down out of the mountains and I hit this windy spot in Idaho Springs. and. I was, they say I was doing about 75 and I rolled my truck like three times doing 75 and I hit one of those big highway signs, which saved my life because otherwise I would have went into the clear Creek, which runs along I 70 out here. And I would have definitely died and there was blood coming out of my head and I was a real mess. And, um, 
So I stopped drinking for about a week after that. Whoa, my stuff's a little bit. And I stopped drinking for like a week after that. And then I started drinking again because I'm an alcoholic and that's what alcoholics do, we drink. And so on, I lost my job on March 27, 2003 because I, they found out about that accident. They said, you know what? And I was really proud of that job. They said, you know, we'll, keep, we'll let you keep your job if you sign this return to work agreement saying you wouldn't drink anymore. And I said, sure, why not? I'll sign whatever you want. And I did, and, but I couldn't stop drinking. So on March 27th, they found out about that and they fired me. They gave me a bunch of back pay, some severance pay. And it was like five, $6,000 or something. So I went on a bender for 10 days trying to kill myself with drugs and alcohol and I just couldn't do it. The real problem was I kept waking up every day. That was the problem. And on April 8th, 2003, I woke up and all, all my clothes, I peed my pants. Who you see here today is not the man I used to be. I was like 240 pounds. I had dark circles under my eyes and I was 70 pounds heavier than I am now. And I was just at the end. And I had a girl who was with me, which was surprising because I was really gross and stupid at the time. But she came in and she's like, well, this isn't gonna work. And I just started crying and I said, I can't stop. And she got online and she got me into a rehab center and I was there for 30 days. And so I've been sober since April 8th of 2003. And there you go. There you go. Congratulations. I always love to give somebody a big, cause it's a big deal. Cause when you give up your best friend and their only coping, coping mechanism, it's a big deal. Right. And I think that especially in these times that we're living in and, um, I kind of want to fast forward because I think that what, you know, you first reached out to me, you know, I think that was, I guess, six weeks ago. I Was it six weeks ago? I think it was like, uh, it was May. It was two months ago. Yeah. Two months ago. So two months ago, I reached out to you and you were living a totally, like, given what's going on in the world, because a lot of people right now are flipping out anyway, because our life, as we know, have known it our entire lives, is totally changed, right? It's totally, you cannot do anything you used to do. Life is just totally different, social distancing, masks, all that. But you were living in a situation that was, that you loved, and you loved the person you were with, but something happened. Right. So what happened was about eight years ago, I, I, right when I turned 40 years old, I'm 48 years old now. And I was, uh, I, I had had a very successful business and I was like, all right, well, you know, at that point I was sober nine years, I think. And I said, all right, well, it's time to have a family or it's time to meet the one, you know? So I really started putting myself out there and I, I said, all right, whatever God puts in my life, whatever God is, don't worry about that. Um, I'll do. And I said, so if I get a young 30 year old girl who wants to make lots of babies, I would have done that. And I got Amy who had this nine year old boy with autism. And we, I put my whole life into that. I said, all right, well, this is what I, I've dedicated myself to that. And we spent, the, we had a really, you know, beautiful novels, love stories beginning. And but what happened was we spent the last eight years together and it just wasn't perfect, but we kept hanging on. And just a couple months ago, it just, it kind of, it, it just fell apart. So there's no need to get into the details. It's just that it was just time for us to stop. And the point, I guess, that we're going to bring up here on the show is that 
it was extremely painful and it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And I, I see now the reason why people hang on to hard relationships, codependent relationships where they're just really not very happy or fulfilled, but they hang on to it because they don't want to go through what I just went through for the last six weeks, which is that bleeding heartache, that real pain in your deep in your heart. And, um, but I'm already past like that part of it. And I think that people don't want to go through that part and then they hang on. So when I say something like, God, I, I wasted eight years, you know, when I look at some of my friends who are in their marriages for 20 or 30 years that are miserable and they don't want to go through the six weeks of pain that I'm going through, but they'd rather prolong it for another 20 years of, of discomfort and not really grow or, you know, something that we were talking about, me and her together, was like, what, we're, what we did, what we're doing is brave and courageous. And most people aren't willing to do it. But I'll tell you, in the last six or seven weeks, I've had more growth in the last six or seven weeks than I have in the last 15 years. I've learned more about myself, about my flaws and my defects and how I need to improve and be a happier, better, more effective human being. And I already am, regardless of what happens moving forward. Well, and you mentioned that her son had autism and I know that that is, and he lived with, he lived with you full time, correct? Yeah. So that's a whole nother, like, that's a whole nother layer, right? Because now you've gone and you, you're dad, right? For this little boy. And that's like really, that has to be so hard, right? Because now not only are you leaving this woman that you love, but her child that is so beautiful like he's one of god's like gifts right like because he's special he's special and he, I'm, no i'm sorry but and i would imagine that having the courage to and it's in some of it i'm sure somebody might say oh my god that's so heartless you just walked away from this boy that you had have built this long relationship with but doing that, how has that transpired and, you know, walking through that again? And during this whole thing that you went through, did you pick up a drink? Did you pick up a drug? Like, did you pick up any of those things that we used to use that would help with those feelings you were feeling of being broken and how hard it was and how you described that? Yeah, and great questions, all those, and I can hit them all. Is it, Like, in terms of, in terms of him, it, I, do, I didn't think of it. I mean, it's a challenge raising any child. And it was my only, I knew back in my days I was messed up. I wasn't around children and families. I didn't even have credit cards. I knew I was messed up. So I removed myself from that type of world. And when I said, you know, whatever God puts in my life, I'll do. And I did it, you know, and I'm, and I'm really happy with myself for doing that. And, you know, and people used to say to me all the time, wow, that's amazing. It must be so hard, but it's all I knew as a parent. You know, I didn't know the truth is he kind of wanted to be left alone. He's in his own world. And when I, my niece and nephew would come over to visit and they're bouncing off the walls and crying and screaming. And I was like, that's hard. You know, like he just kind of wants to be left alone. And what, and you know, we had, we certainly absolutely had our own challenges, but um, it was just, you just do what's in front of you. Right. And so I kind of just took that on and I loved him and he taught me more than I ever taught him every single day. And, uh, and yes, I do miss him and I do love him. And tomorrow's his 18th birthday. And I helped get him, I helped get him to that point. And I feel good about myself for doing that. And, um, and yeah, I do miss him. 
but I dropped off a present at the house today for him that I know he's going to really love. And, um, and I'm grateful that I had that chance in my life to do that, to experience that. And it's awesome. And, um, and I miss both of them. But, you know, to answer the next part of your question, no, I didn't take one drink. I didn't take a drug. And I didn't even think about it. It wasn't an option. It was, I, I also have a coach and a mentor. I coach people and I mentor them to help them become the best version of themselves. And to, you know, what my slogan is, kick the addiction, master your life. And that's, I have a webinar that we're putting together right now called that, kick your addiction, master your life. And so I don't have an addiction. Well, I guess I was in a codependent relationship and codependency is the biggest addiction in the world. Although maybe Starbucks might be like close up there too, but uh, for sure codependency. And so I, I'm a, I have that codependency in me too. And which is part of the reason our relationship fell apart. But, um, but the idea is now that, I work with my coach and he has me doing things that I tell people to do only I'm working on them myself on such a deep level. And I was just typing them all up because he's like, Dennis, I want to see your homework. And I, I write and I have these big legal yellow pads and I've been writing for an hour to two hours a day, every single day, you know, because the way that we, the way that I coach people and the way that we change is that we have to reprogram our subconscious mind. And, you know, in a lot of cases, our subconscious minds are driven by behaviors and beliefs that come from 30, 40 years ago. And that's going to take more than just a week or two to change. And that requires doing the things that you don't want to do over and over again. Because doing the, not doing those things that you don't want to do for a long period of time, that's why I got sick. That's why we get sick. Because we feel unfulfilled. We feel like failures. And all of a sudden, we're like, all of a sudden, there's a glass of wine in our hand or chocolate or cake or sex or go, I'm going to go shopping and buy something to fill myself inside. So I'm learning how to do all these things myself that I teach people how to do. And that's why I'm growing. And that's why right now I'm not crying every 10 minutes, but with a broken heart, I get these waves of sadness that come in and I process them. I feel them all the way through because that's what I do as a sober person now. And I just kind of let them go. And that's where the growth comes from. A great analogy I came up with going through all this about a month ago was like, picture this. Let's just say like your feelings, your thoughts, your fears, everything that's been going on in your life. Let's just picture it coming in through your right ear. And as a sober person or somebody that's trying to grow and become better themselves, you kind of process it. You feel it. You might cry. You might be angry. You might laugh. You might enjoy the time. Whatever those feelings are, let them come in, you process them, and they kind of just flow out the other side. What happens when that doesn't happen is they kind of float in the right ear. And this is when you're talking about like untreated alcoholism or addiction or whatever addiction you're living in. And they kind of float into your right ear and then they kind of just get stuck in your head and swirl around. And instead of feeling them and processing them in a healthy way, you start drinking or you start smoking weed or watching porn going shopping and now all of a sudden you just get sick and if you keep doing that over and over again your life just kind of spirals in down and so you know I've, I've gotten to a place in my life where I recognize a lot of things and I know intuitively to reach out to people to talk to and make the changes I need to make and I think that's the key that I love that you just brought up 
is that you reach out because it sounds like you didn't, you, none of us can do this by ourselves. And I think that that's one thing that we sit at home and we're like, okay, I've had 47 cocktails. I hate myself. I can't go out. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I've been playing this tape in my head all the time. I don't know. I Google, am I an alcoholic? Am I not an alcoholic? What is going on? And I think the key that you talked about the most is having that person in your life, right? Like you had that person that you could call that is your mentor, your coach, and you call and you say, you know what, this is where I am. And that coach helps you. It's kind of like a therapist. Some people call therapists, right? Yeah. Some people call coaches, but we all need somebody. And I think it all is based on your economic st status as well, right? You can't always call a therapist if you can't afford it. You can't always call a coach if you can't afford it. And I think that's where some ways, like if you go to AA, at least you'll meet, like you go to a 12-step room, somebody will just say, you know what, I'll help you for a little bit so you can get back on your feet and then then go and get these resources again. Do you agree yeah, with that? Yeah, I, I gotta say the, the very best part for me about AA is absolutely because the program is a it's a profound program. It's a beautifully written program. It's written 80 years ago, and it's it's a great program to teach you. It, it, it really what does it say in the book? The point of this is to get you uh, to develop a relationship with a power greater than yourself to restore you to sanity. That's the purpose of the program. That's the purpose of the book, right? And it's brilliantly put together because there's no other programs written like it to teach you how to be humble and have self-reflection and to reach out and help other people get out of that selfishness that we deal with, that all of us deal with, right? And, but I think that none of it would work without the fellowship. I think that when you're broken, when you're lost, when you're sick, when you're tired and crying and fearful and angry and hurt and don't have any money and don't know where to turn to, you can go to a meeting anywhere on the planet and somebody will give you a hug. Yeah. And that's why it's a beautiful program. And so I don't have any problems with AA. I pop in there every now and then. I went religiously. I've been to many, many thousands of AA meetings. And I have friends that I consider family from AA, and we always will be. And um, so it's beautiful. Like, yeah, yeah, if your economic status is not great and you – and even if you don't have a dollar to put in the basket, they're still going to give you a hug and probably take you out for lunch. And I think that one thing you mentioned was the insanity, right? We don't think that when we're in this, right, even in relationships, in codependent relationships, we don't look at it like this is insane until it weighs on us so much that we don't even, can't even get out of bed, right? We can't even look in the mirror, just like it is when you're drinking, right? Like you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh my God, what did I do last night? If you're in a relationship where you're not solid on your own, right? You've lost that spiritual, because I find that spirit, I, I, the, the 12 steps programs that are out there that can help, there's codependency, there's ACA, there's all those, I mean, there's a million different places you can go. But that, that sense of like, I'm not alone, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the spirituality of it. And that is what like has propelled me my entire you know, time that I've been sober, God willing, almost 14 years. It's the spiritual thing and realizing like I can surrender anytime and say, oh my gosh, God, please help me, right? Please help me. Yeah. And it's retraining the subconscious mind. So when, remember, it's like, I, so I used to drink until I would throw up blood and then pass out and then wake up and look in the mirror and cry and say, I'm never doing this again. And then I would walk over to the freezer 
and take a shot of whiskey. And then I would throw up again and then I could breathe. And that was the insanity and I couldn't stop that. And I had no defense against the first drink. So it was that one, one is too many and a thousand is not enough. So something has to come in between my thought of drinking and that drink. And so AA, that's what, that's what I learned there. It's like, it's, it's God. It's that spiritual connection that I didn't have for a long time. And I grew up Catholic, like we can get into all these same talks we hear all the time, but I grew up Catholic too. And it's like, I didn't know why I was going. I used to say, my mom, how come they put church and football together on Sundays? I didn't, I never understood that. And, but the, the truth was what my mom used to say was awesome. She used to say, cause I didn't, I never connected with Jesus or that God or the religion in general. And I wasn't even really, I didn't even have a resentment or anything against any of that stuff. I just didn't, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand anything. Really, that's why I drank. But my mom said something great and it still rings true. And she said this like 35, 40 years ago. And she said, it's just nice to believe in something bigger than you. And you know, it didn't make sense to me until about 15 years ago that she told me that 40 years earlier. And so that's all that it is. You know, I make a big deal out of everything. I'm, I've been worried and scared and fearful and insecure since I was five years old. And then when I was 15, I started drinking and I was like, I don't have to feel like that anymore. I don't have to feel anything anymore. And so something had to become, I had to, you had to take that out. And the problem and the reason most people fail in sobriety is because you take away what you said early on, that coping mechanism. And now I, now here's life. Life kicks me in the balls two days after I stopped drinking. And I'm like, well, I don't want to deal with that. So I'm going to start drinking again because that's easy. It seems easier, but it's hard to grow up in your thirties and your forties and fifties. And it can be really painful at times, but, uh, but it's possible. And we're living examples. And you know, something that I mentioned that, you talked about how in the very beginning, I don't know if you talked about it here as much, but you, in the beginning, you went and you did everything that they said to do, right? You went to this 12 step and it was kind of like you built, I always say that like for me, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but it was like planting a tree, right? Like I went into this program, not knowing how to live life at all, right? I didn't know about anything. Like I saw life as black and white. I grew up in a family that that was just how it is. And either you voted like me and you went to the same country club as me, or I wasn't going to relate, right? So it was very black and white. And so I went into this program with these people that they all look different. Everybody looks different, right? We all have these costumes. I have a sponsor that called them my costume that we wear on the outside, right? And we all have these different costumes, but we all are here to learn how to live life one day at a time, right? With these gifts. So it sounds like you really had a firm, your tree was pretty strong, right? You like weathered a lot of storms because of that tree. It's kind of like a palm tree that sits here and makes it through a hurricane like many times, years and years. And it's still there because yeah. you took the time to find out who you really were, what made you tick. I love that you said when I met my girlfriend, you know, I said to God, whoever you put in front of me, I am going to make this work as best as I can. Yeah. 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 And That's I made that commitment. Isn't that yeah. surrendering? Absolutely. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a great analogy. And it's like, it takes a while to surrender. And you know, well, you know what it takes is pain. It takes pain to surrender. And it's really humbling. You know, all these things we're talking about, these are big words. Like when you first come into AA, you're like, I need to stop drinking. And then they're like, well, what about your resentments and, and humility and all this stuff? And you're like, dude, I need to stop drinking. Like stop telling me all these big words. But those are the reasons I was drinking. And it's, you have to just kind of get through these things and you do it with somebody. You know, one of the, one of the things I love, and it's this meme that I've seen recently, actually, you know, when you, when you look at somebody who has long-term sobriety, it's not that I'm better than you. It's just that I've been through what you're going through and I can help pull you through that. And I like this meme that I see, and it's a picture of a guy down in the bottom of a hole. And he's down in the bottom of this hole. And he's like, I don't know how I got in this hole. I'm stuck and I'm never going to get out of this hole. And there's a guy standing on top of the hole. And he goes, hey, I was in that hole last week. Give me your hand. I'll help you get out of there. And, you know, that's what I think sobriety is about. And I, and really, I think that's what being human is all about. Ultimately, it comes down to I'm selfish. I think about me a lot. You know, that selfishness, self-centeredness, that's the root of our problem. I think about me too much. When I stop thinking about me, everything that I'm worried about just kind of falls into place. So, you know, what they said, I think it's in the doctor's opinion, it says that altruistic movement growing up around, you know, it's like, I didn't know about helping people. I was like, I don't have time to help people and take care of me at the same time. How do I do that? But the truth is, is when you're helping people, you get taken care of. And so it's like, I, whenever things aren't going right, I need to focus on my relationship with God. And everything else just kind of falls into place. All those other relationships, all the money I'm chasing after, my health, everything else, it just kind of works out. It's pretty amazing stuff, but it's hard. You have to trust. You have to surrender, and you have to trust in the process, and things just kind of work out after a while. And you have to be yeah. willing. Willing you have to be willing. So, like, it's so key. So the people that are out there, and they're like, you guys are saying this and you have all this time, but we, I totally remember when I first came in and that sense of like, I didn't care if the person had purple hair, if they were, I was like, you're going to help me, please help me because I know whatever I've been doing is definitely not working. Right. Yeah. And I talk about it, which I, it comes from uh, the program at some point, but I, I put it in my book and I called it the how approach to life. How do I become sober? How do I become clean? How do I become successful? How do I become healthy? How do I have successful relationships? And how stands for honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. Right. I have to first be honest and I have to say, okay, well, something's wrong. I have a problem or things aren't going as well as I think they could be. And now, now you're being honest. And once you do that, now you could be open to saying, oh, well, maybe there's a different way of doing things so I don't have to feel like this. And then after you say, uh, after you admit there's a problem and you have an open mind to seeing a new way of living, then I become willing to do things differently to get different results. Because remember, nothing changes if nothing changes or nothing changes until something changes. I have to make changes in my life if I want to see changes. And it's hard. You know, a lot of times we all have good intentions about becoming better people or changing our lives or getting sober or stop eating cake every night or whatever it is that you want to do, but we don't know how to do that. 
and we need somebody to help guide us through that process. And if you're an AA, that's a sponsor or a closed mouth friend. If you want to talk to a coach or somebody like you or you or I, a coaches or counselors, mentors, somebody to help you guide you through because I don't know everything. The problem was I once thought I knew everything and that kept me sick for 15 years. I swear that the older I get, the less I know. Yeah. And it's okay to not know. I think that's an important thing to remember. Like if I don't know something now, instead of, well, I used to lie a lot and say I did and pretend I knew something. I would go to, like, I would be at a bar and uh, I would be sitting next to a woman and she'd be like, oh, well, I'm in real estate. What do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm in real estate too but I'm not in real estate. And then she would leave and another girl would come in after I offended her, she would leave and another girl would come in and she'd be like, I'd be like, what are you doing? And she's like, Oh, well, I'm an accountant. I'm like, Oh, I'm an accountant too. You know, I was just like lie to people or say I've been to places I never went to or did things I never did. And now it's, I just have to be honest and you know, I don't have to impress anybody and I'm comfortable with that and with who I am. And I don't care what people think about me. And if I don't know how to do something, ask for help. And it's great. Then I, it's like, I was always that guy. Well, more so in the last 17 years, but the guy, I'm happy to be the guy to stop and ask directions. You know, now we have ways and Google maps. You don't really have to do that anymore. But in the past, you know, up until like eight, eight or nine, 10 years ago, we had to ask directions. And now the, the stereotypical guy would be like, I'm not asking for directions. I know how to get there. But I always stop and ask directions. I would like, I would rather ask somebody how to get there and get there in 10 minutes and drive around dumb for two hours and be lost. I've been lost my whole life. So I, now I ask for help. Well, I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. I love it. I love you. You're awesome. So for those that are watching that don't know, we had like a two hour phone call chat like two months ago. And um, it was just a nice chat. I think that you're awesome. And I love what you do and the people that you help because that's what life's all about. And I'm grateful that we had this time together. Thank you so much, Dennis. Take care of yourself and congratulations. You are a warrior. You are a warrior. Thank you so much. Thank you. Until busy. next time, everybody, keep getting busy living sober. Bye-bye.